Let's continue reading verses 16 through 36 of Judges chapter 1. Now in the second half of Judges 1, we see that the various tribes of Israel were only partially successful in taking over their respective territories. Judges chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of the Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephoth and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Also, Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. And he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city, and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or Taanach and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, so that Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, or the inhabitants of Nahalol, so the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or of Ahlab, Aksib, Helba, Aphek, or Rehob. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Bethshemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Heres, in Agilon, and in Shalabim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. All right, once again, let's look at some background notes. In verse 21, we read about the Jebusites. In verse 35, we read about the Amorites. And in several verses here, we read about the Canaanites. Now, who are all these ites that are in the land anyway? Turn back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 10, where we have the table of nations and all the descendants of the sons of Noah. Genesis chapter 10 verses 15 through 18. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, 
the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite, the Arvidite, the Zemurite, and the Hamathite. So we have a lot of ites, you see, that were descendants of Canaan. You know, sometimes when I read these lists of ites in my Old Testament survey class, I'll read in the term electric lights, and no one seems to notice. <laughs> in any case, throughout the Old Testament, whenever the inhabitants of the land of Canaan are designated, sometimes the broad category of Canaanites is mentioned, other times the specific descendants of Canaan, like Jebusites or Amorites, are mentioned. The main point, of course, here is that Israel was to completely drive all the Canaanites out of the land. But Israel failed to do so. And Israel reaped some bitter consequences as a result. Now, anytime we talk about the conquest and the fact that Israel was commanded to kill off all the inhabitants of the land, some folks have problems with God at this point. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 and 17. But of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. Why would a good and loving God do such a thing? Verse 18 here in Deuteronomy 20 gives us the answer. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. The Canaanites were wicked people. God did not want his people contaminated and polluted with the gross immorality and idolatry of the Canaanites. But unfortunately, Israel did not fully cleanse the land. They only partially obeyed the Lord. And that brings us then to our doctrinal or teaching points. Doctrinal point number one. Partial obedience results in plenty of bad fallout. Partial obedience results in plenty of bad fallout. Verse 19. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. Let me ask you, was God's power limited because of the iron chariots? Of course not. What is iron compared to omnipotence? Judah did not fully trust and obey the Lord. That was the problem. Verse 21, but the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. Was this God's fault? The fact that Israel could not drive out the Jebusites? No, it wasn't God's fault. The tribe of Benjamin did not fully trust and obey the Lord. Verse 27, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 29, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. Verse 30, nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants. And verse 33, nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants. Why was Israel only partially successful in driving out the enemy? Was God's power limited? Did God fail in his promises? No, the people failed to fully obey. Here's what God had promised back in Joshua chapter 1, 
Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. And verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will not leave you nor forsake you. There's the promise of God. But now notice also what God said in Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So we see that the key as to why Israel was only partially successful was that they were partially obedient. God had not failed. The people had failed. And as a result, there was plenty of bad fallout. The idolatry and immorality of the Canaanites began to penetrate the nation. And ultimately, it resulted in the downfall of all Israel. What a sad story. Partial obedience results in plenty of bad fallout. And the same is true today. If you only partially obey the Lord, in what you do with your body, for example, there will be plenty of bad fallout. If you only partially obey the Lord in what you do with your mind, there will be plenty of bad fallout. Partial obedience results in plenty of bad fallout. Doctrinal point number two. Partial obedience results in pockets of enemy resistance. Partial obedience results in pockets of enemy resistance. Now, I think most of you are aware that in both Joshua and Judges, we have some great spiritual pictures here of spiritual warfare. Follow this now. The land of promise represents the land of spiritual blessings that God has promised us. Not heaven when we die, but the heavenlies now. There is a land of spiritual blessings now for the Christian, but it is also the land of spiritual battles. Read the whole book of Ephesians in this connection. However, even though there are spiritual battles now, we don't have to ever be defeated in spiritual battle. The key to victory is full obedience. Partial obedience results in pockets of enemy resistance. Do you see the spiritual picture? All of Israel's enemies in the land of Canaan represent our enemies in the land of spiritual blessing that God has given us to enjoy. When we become Christians, the power of the enemy's control over our lives is broken, but partial obedience results in pockets of enemy resistance. You see the spiritual picture? The enemies in the land can represent sins of the flesh or even demonic forces. Let me ask you, how is it in your life? Does Satan have any pockets of resistance in the land of blessing? What about the sin of materialism? What about impure thoughts? What about an unforgiving spirit? What about a root of bitterness? We need to deal with these sins by practicing full obedience because partial obedience allows Satan to keep us from enjoying the blessings of the land. Partial obedience results in pockets of enemy resistance. One practical application here, don't let the enemy come back to hurt you. Don't let the enemy come back to hurt you. Verses 23 through 26 once again. 
So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. What right did Israel have to let this Hittite man who was under the judgment of God go free? No right. You say, well, wait a minute. What about Rahab? The case of Rahab was different. Rahab became a believer and asked for mercy from the Lord and became part of Israel. But this pagan Hittite did not become a believer. In fact, he went out and built another pagan city, even gave it the same name, Luz. The Hittites continued to be enemies of Israel. Do you see the spiritual lesson here? Don't let the enemy come back to hurt you. We must deal ruthlessly with the sins of the flesh. Don't bargain with the flesh. Unjudged sin survives and comes back to hurt you. In verses 28, 30, 33, and 35, we see that when Israel became stronger, they put the remaining enemy under tribute or forced labor. But they were still there. It's like a Christian who is a materialist giving a nice token amount of his money to God. But he's still a materialist. The sin of materialism is still there. There's still only partial obedience. I know a number of Christians in this category, and some have lost their families to the world as a result. Talk about hurt. Don't let the enemy come back to hurt you.